tonight's message is be a killer. Oh, yeah. Have you ever used that phrase? Have you ever caught yourself saying to someone, I'm going to kill you? Yeah, like maybe brother, sister. Okay, so we've, we've all used that because we've all been pretty angry at some point. Now, my hope is you've never actually physically acted on that statement. But the, the reason I ask you that is, as I was thinking about this and looking at this passage tonight, a memory came into my mind of myself and my older brother. Now, how many of you are younger brothers or sisters in here? How many of you know very well how to push your older siblings' buttons? Hey, I was going to say, some of y'all are going to keep those hands up. Like you, how, how many of you are older brothers and sisters and you know how to push your younger siblings' button? How many of you are twins and you get on each other's nerves? We're going to catch everybody in here tonight. There was a time, I was the little brother. My brother's about a year and a half older than me. And I was very, very good at getting on his nerves. I mean, really good. And I remember one day when I was in middle school, I want to say probably around seventh grade or so, he would have been in high school at that point. I don't remember what I was doing, but I know I was just annoying him to no end. I don't know what I said. I don't know what I did. But I just remember I was just making him angry. And he kept threatening me, like, you better stop, you better stop. And, and guess what I did? I kept right on going. There's no way I'm going to stop. It's working. Why would I stop? But then there came a moment where he decided to take his warning and put it into action. And in my house, we've got this long hallway. You've got the bedrooms down at one end of the hallway in my parents' house. You've got the living room down at the other end of the hallway. And the door to outside is just beyond the living room. And my brother, when he finally snapped, I knew he had snapped. And he jumps up and he starts to run at me. So I take off out of his bedroom because I was in there and I shouldn't have been in there in the first place. And I go running down the hallway. And I get from here to the front row into the living room, from here to the door. And I'm thinking, I'm going to make it. I'm home free. I'm going to get outside. I'm going to outrun him. And right as I get that close, have you ever been like tackled from behind? You know, you know how you think you're just, you're running, you're running, and all of a sudden it's like, and somebody just takes you down? Just like that. My brother caught me in the middle of the living room. And he didn't just catch me. He catches me, turns me over. My brother was a football player. He was an offensive lineman, so he's bigger than I am. And he sits on top of me. But remember, he's mad. Not like, I'm going to get you, but like, I'm going to kill you. He... He, at that point, sitting on top of me, takes his hands and wraps them around my neck and starts to squeeze. I literally could not, and I don't, I don't use that term loosely, I literally could not breathe. And he did that for about 10 seconds. For a little split second there, I'm thinking, he's actually going to go through with it. He's going to kill me. I was a little upset about that, but he... he Thankfully, he didn't go through with it. I've been thankful for that for the last number of years now. But he was so mad that that thought of, I'm going to kill you, he moved from just a thought to, he actually, I think somewhere for a second, had the intention of going through with it. Thank goodness he did. I hope that when you get mad and you get that frustrated with somebody, that it never leads you to the action of actually going through with it and being a killer. But what we're looking at in the book of Colossians tonight, being a killer is exactly what we see here. Well, before we get into that, let me ask you the question so that you know where we are and what we're talking about. Who wrote the book of Colossians? Paul. Where was he when he wrote it? Yes, I'm not even going to make up a percentage tonight. Prison. Pretty good answer. Okay. 
Why did he write it? Two main reasons. To warn and to encourage. And when do we think he wrote it? Around 60 to 62 AD. Good, you're getting me. We always want to know when we step into a passage of scripture, what's going on? Who was the author? Who did he write it to? Why did he write it? Because context matters. We need to know what he was saying to his original audience so we can understand what that's now saying to us. And that's what we're doing in here every single week. So tonight, we're going to read in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 5 through 11. So if you've got that open, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And tonight, Miss Mallory McElmurray is going to come up and read for us. Come on up, Miss Mallory. You can use that microphone right there. Or however you want to call it. All right, uh, Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account, of the, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked, but you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, saying that you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave, free, but in Christ all in all. All right, let's pray. Um, dear God, thank you for bringing us all here tonight, God. I ask that you will speak through Pastor Jesse and let his words just be absorbed into us, God. I know that all these things Listed in these verses is something that we've all struggled with at some point in our lives, God. So I ask that you take his words, let them be absorbed into us, let them apply them in our daily lives. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ms. Mallory. Y'all have a seat. So Paul is talking about being a killer. Let's walk through here and see exactly what he's saying when it comes to these verses so you can understand where we're coming from tonight. Verse 5, let me read it for you again. It says, put to death, right there. First three words, put to death, be a killer, that you are turning into a murderer when it comes to what Paul is talking about tonight. But that's okay, because what he's talking about are things that need to die anyway. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. There's a, a, has anybody ever heard the, of a guy named John Owen before? Yeah, maybe one or two people. It makes sense that you wouldn't have. He was a theologian and a professor from like the 1600s. But he wrote a book. He actually wrote several books. And in that book, there's a couple different quotes that talk about this. And one of those quotes reads this way. It says, Let no man think to kill sin with few, easy, or gentle strokes. In other words, if you're going to kill your sin, don't take it easy on your sin. He says, he, remember this is 1600s, he who hath once smitten a serpent, that means once you decide to strike a snake, if he follow not on his blow until it be slain, may repent that ever he began the quarrel. So he says, hey, if you're, if you're somebody and you see a snake and you hit it and you don't follow through until you know that snake is dead, its head is cut off, it's separated from its body, it's not going to come after you anymore. If you just hit it once and turn around, guess what's going to happen? That snake's going to jump up and strike you. He's saying the same thing is true about our sin. If we say, I'm going to kill my sin, and we go, sin. And then turn around and walk away, that sin's going to jump up and hit you in the back of the head. And he finishes that quote, he says, and, he, and so he who undertakes to deal with sin and pursues it not 
constantly to the death. In other words, just like you would kill a snake, if you decide you're going to kill a snake, you don't stop until that snake's dead. Miss Kathleen tells a story of being out in our yard one day, and she, she likes to be in the yard and dig up plants and plant new plants and move things around like we've got flower gardens everywhere. And there was a day she was out in one of our yards, and she was digging. It was in the dirt, right? And it, What's that? Thank you. She was digging in the dirt, and there was a snake. So Miss Kathleen, being the person who doesn't like snakes, but she is, she freaks out, but she killed the snake. But she didn't just, like, cut off its head. There's probably 500 pieces of that snake by the time she got done, because it's like, it just keeps going and going and going. But that's exactly what he's talking about here. He's saying, if you're going to go after a snake, you're going to make sure it's dead before you turn your back on that snake. John Owen is saying the same thing about sin in your life. If you're going to decide that you're going to kill your sin, which is exactly what Paul says here, put to death what is earthly in you, you can't just smack it one time and turn around and walk away. You've got to be a killer. You've got to take its life. You've got to make sure it is done, that it has no hold on you whatsoever. And that's not always an easy thing to do. It's an active role that we have to take. Sometimes we think, God, please help me overcome my sin. And then we expect God to do all the work. Now, will God work to change your heart and your desires? Yes, as you spend time in his word and as you pursue him, he will do that. But we also have a natural tendency to go back to the things that are familiar. I mean, this is one of the nastiest things I've seen over and over. Maybe you've seen this. A dog sometimes will grow up and then come back. And what will it do? Eat it. It'll, it'll keep coming back to it. It's nasty. It's gross. But guess what? Sometimes we do the same thing with sin. We say, you know what? I'm done with that. God, I'm not going to mess with that anymore. And before we know it, we come right back to it. Now again, as, as sanctification happens in your life, as you spend time in God's Word, God changes your heart. God changes your mind. God draws you closer to Himself. And those desires start to go away. But we still live in a sinful, fallen flesh in a sinful, fallen world. And our natural tendency sometimes still is pull us in that direction. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying we've got to take these earthly things, we've got to take these things that drag us down, and we've got to kill them. We've got to get rid of them completely. And he goes through and he names a bunch of them here. There's five different ones. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed and covetousness. And I think he names these because these are things that we all struggle with at some point to some degree. Let's just step through them real quick. That first one there, the, the sexual, um, what does it say? Sexual immorality. The, the original word, that word is the word that we get our English word pornography. Pornography. But that really doesn't just encompass the one little thing that we think about when we hear that word. It encompasses all kinds of sexual sin. Simply stated, it's doing anything sexually outside of the confines or the, the, the boundaries of marriage that God has set. All of that's supposed to be within the bounds of marriage. In other words, if you're not married, don't do the things you know you're not supposed to do. That's, that's what Scripture's talking about there. He's saying all of that is reserved for the marriage relationship 
it's very, <laughs> that's a very serious and a very unpopular teaching. And, and here's what I have found over time because I've been working with teenagers like you for a long time. And a lot of times, here's the question I get. How far is too far? And most time that question comes up because people are wanting to know how close they can get to sinning without actually sinning. They want to play on the line a little bit. Or they're already doing something they know that God doesn't want them doing, and they want the okay to keep doing. But that's not what Paul says. What Paul says, get it out of your life. Now, if, if you've messed up before and that's already been a part of your life, it's time to go back to it. Go after it. Because remember, once you're forgiven in Christ, you're not held captive by those given of that sin, but now you have to turn from it. You have to turn to him and to seek him. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, get those things out of your life. Then he mentions impurity. Basically, it's this way. Is what you're thinking or doing something that is pure and honoring to God? If it's not, get it out of your life. It's that simple. Just get rid of it. And then he goes on and he mentions passion and evil desires. Now, let me make a distinction here. Passion, just the word that we have passion, that's not a bad thing. You should have passion for the things that you do in life, okay? For for your family, for your hobbies, for the different things you work, the things that you like, you should be passionate about it. He's talking about a different kind of passion here. He's talking about things that lead us, lead us with these evil desires here. These first couple things, um, or the first the first really two things he talks about here refer to our actions. These last couple ones, they really more talk about how they affect our hearts. And we have to remember as Christians, our hearts belong to God. Therefore, our body should belong to God. In that same manner, our mind, our actions should belong to God. And we need to put those other things aside. The last things he last thing he mentions here is the logical step from the other four because this one it touches on the heart's desires says we need to take all greed and covetousness and put it to death. That means we need to kill the desire to want something more than what is ours. Does that make sense? We need to get rid of the desire to say, well, that's not mine, but I want that. Or that's theirs, but I really want that, so I'm going to kill it. Because it's not ours. Because God hasn't given it. Instead, as Christians, as disciples, as believers, we have the opportunity to rejoice in what God has given other people instead of saying, that's not mine, that's yours. He says there's no place for that in our lives. And in verse 6, he tells us why we need to get rid of it. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because God's sealed for wrath is coming. Sometimes we think we can play around here, and we can play around here, and God's already forgiven us. But it says right there, God takes our sin extremely seriously. He wants our life to be something that honors him, not something that goes against the holiness of who God is. Those things deserve his righteous anger. I, I talk to people who say, I don't really like the God of the Old Testament because that's the God that, that killed people, and that's the God that was angry, and that's the God that, that required death. I like the God of the New Testament because he's love and he's peace and all of those things. And what we forget is same God. He's all of those things. And when it comes to sin, sin deserves his righteous anger because God 
this is something we're familiar with. He says, in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. He says, if you're, remember he's writing this to the church. He's saying, if you're a believer, if you're a disciple, there was a time in your life when these things I'm talking about, they defined your life. Which means you weren't a believer. Because you had not put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And there was a time that you walked in those things, and those things held you captive. Every single person in this room has sin in their life. Some of us have sin right now. We'll have sin tomorrow. All of us. But if we put our faith in the church in Christ, we are no longer defined by our sin. We've been set free. We've been forgiven. But if we are no longer defined or in debt to that sin, why would we go back to that sin? Why would we do that? He's telling us, get rid of it. Get away from it. You're not defined by that anymore. Yes, you're familiar with it because you too once walked in it, but you are no longer stuck there. All of those sinful actions and attitudes, they used to have a foothold in your life, but if you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, they don't have any sway over you anymore. So put those things to death. Kill them. Don't let them creep up believer, as a disciple, as a Christian, whatever title you want to put on your walk with Jesus, he's telling us here, you are walking with God, so walk in a manner that is worthy of faith. Are we going to make mistakes? Yes. Are we going to make bad choices someday? I think we all can. But the idea is that we're living a life that is pointed towards God, even on those days that we mess up, we know we are forgiven, and we know we are living why he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your lips. Paul calls these believers to action again in this verse. He's saying, stop taking these things out and playing with them. You need to put them away and leave them where. Leave them where. It's kind of like when you were a kid and your parents said, hey, now, clean up your room. Parents ever tell you that? Do you ever find yourself doing what they ask you to do, but then within less than 24 hours, sometimes maybe three, some of those same things are back out of the closet and back out of the drawers and all over the floor again? What's that? Some people do. It happens. We're not getting into the debate on that. But here's the thing. What we do is we pull those things right back things he mentions there, anger, wrath, malice, evil, slander, obscene talk, every single one of those has to do with how we interact with other people. Because the way that we act around other people and with other people reflects who we are in our walk with Christ. And he's saying that those things have no place 
in our lives. He's saying that you need to, to watch your actions. And, and the first three here, he says, anger, wrath, and malice, those tend to focus on our attitude towards other people. We get angry with people. We have wrath towards them. We have ill intent, malice. In other words, we're out to get them. And then these last two, slander and obscene talk, that has to do with how we speak to one another. He's basically saying, watch your heart because it's not you. That's what Scripture tells us. Take a heart to match speech. So you've got to get these things out of your life because what they do is they effectively destroy your ability to speak the truth of the if all that's coming out of your mouth and your heart is anger, wrath, malice, evil, slander, obscene talk, all of those things, that when you say, hey, let me share with you what God's doing in my life, somebody's going to look at you and go, you're mad all the time. How's God working in your life? I've been accused of that, and it's been true sometimes. Hey, let me tell you how joyful my God's made me. Really? You hate everybody. Ooh, yeah, we're getting there now. And hey, this, this is me talking to myself here and Scripture talking to me as much as it is to you. Because we all have those tendencies. But Paul is saying, get rid of them. Because if you're going to be an effective witness for Christ, then your life needs to reflect who Christ is, not who you're trying to cross your foundation. And he goes on here in verse 9 and he says, do not lie. Ooh, this is kind of a bad one. Don't have those. Do not lie. He says, don't lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Everybody lies, right? Everybody. Now, we, we, we break it down. We've got little white lies. We've got the really big lies. We've got the things that, you know, this is not really going to hurt anybody, and this is, I really hope I don't get in trouble this time. And have you ever found yourself that when you tell a lie and you get busted, nine times out of ten, what do you do next? You tell another lie. Or you just keep going deeper and deeper into the hole. Because that's our natural tendency. And yet Paul says right here, don't do it. I mean, we even justify it sometimes. We think if it's going to protect someone's feelings and keep them from being upset, I'm going to lie to them. Yeah, we all do that to a degree. Paul's saying, don't do that. He says there's no place for that in the life of a disciple. And, and he makes a great point here. He places this, do not lie to one another, in the context of the fact that as a disciple of Jesus, he says that you put off the old self and put on the new self. In other words, you're joined together by Christ. And if you're joined together by Christ, lies, deceit, we're supposed to be people of truth. Lies and deceit have no place in the body of Christ. Sadly, still doesn't. And he's saying, don't do it because it doesn't do anything but cause problems. If what you say can't be trusted, if people don't know that you are honest and trustworthy in your speech, why would they care about you? He says, here, there is not Greek 
answer is yes to any of those questions or any of these other things that Paul has talked about today. It's time to face it. It's time to step up and stop doing those things and stop letting those things define you. It's time to tell your story. Thank you. We thank you for your word, God. Thank you that we can come together, that we can study it. Thank you for for passages like this, ones that because they require action from us. We pursue you. We've got to go after the things that God's made for us. Every person is just if anybody is struggling with something, some sin, whether it's their words, their thoughts, their actions, whatever it may be, God, 